us. All right. A formal welcome to Daily Power Parsha. It is great to see you all on this fourth day of Hanukkah. I should mention, traditionally, night number five is the night to give Hanukkah gelt. So if there's anyone to give gelt to, gelt is traditionally given on the fifth night of Hanukkah. Why you ask the fifth night of Hanukkah? It's the turning point. Because until now, the menorah was less than 50% or at 50% illuminated. From the fifth night and on, boom, it leans over to being, to, to being a majority of candles that are lit as opposed to the unlit. And it represents a preponderance of light and an overwhelming force of positivity. So that is the energy of tonight. So, so starting tonight, we tip the scales on the light side to, uh, to positivity and to warmth and energy. Okay, so let's jump in to our Torah reading. Torah portion this week, as you know, is Miketz. And there's so much to talk about. So much to talk about in our reading. We are up to, let me find our place over here. We are up to the fifth reading, which is perfect. We're in the middle of the fifth reading. Um, up to Genesis chapter 43. I think that's where we stopped. So let's do this. Let's share the screen. Ray, welcome. It's great to see you. Thank you. Okay. So yesterday we spoke about the um, dramatic appearance of the brothers in Egypt. The brothers are now coming down. Joseph's brothers have now arrived to Egypt to... Um, uh, to purchase some food, even though they didn't really need the food, but they needed the optics of buying food. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And it becomes a, uh, an opportunity for him to speak harshly. He accuses them of being spies, etc., etc., etc. And they say, we're, we're innocent. We're just 10 sons of one man. We have two other brothers. One is at home. One is gone. He says, if you're, if you're telling the truth and you, you'll, you'll stay here, and you, one of you will stay here, incarcerated, and the rest of you go and bring back your other brother that you say is at home, and then I'll know that you're telling the truth. There's a lot of questions in the story, right? It's like they couldn't have found someone else and hired him to pretend like they were the brother. Are you with me on this? Yeah? Mm-hmm. What did they do, a DNA test? I mean, seriously, <laughs> this is going back a few years. Like, what are they, how, how is Joseph actually going to know? It's like, oh, our brother, uh, it's that guy. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, anyway, but this is the way the story goes. He sends them home, keeps Shimon with him, incarcerated, strategically, because Shimon was a warrior together with his brother Levi. They had caused lots of havoc in Shechem. He didn't want that to happen here to get out of control, so he keeps Shimon and sends the rest home, and they come to the father, their father, and the father says, what's going on? Where's Shimon? Well, long story short, he wants, to, he wants Benjamin before he releases Shimon. And the father says, guys are sending me to the grave. Joseph is gone. Shimon is gone. And now you want Benjamin to be gone? Not happening. Not, not, not going to let Benjamin go, especially since he's the remaining son of my beloved wife, Rachel Rachel. Which takes us to chapter 43. So as we ended the reading, Jacob said, not happening I'm not sending Benjamin with you. That's it. He's, he alone is left from his mother. 
and uh, I, I can't bear the thought of something happening to him as well. And this is after Reuben said, no, send, I'll, I'll guarantee his return, and you can kill my kids if I don't bring back Benjamin. It didn't work. Jacob was unconvinced, which takes us to chapter 43. And the Torah tells us things got worse. But the hunger was very severe in the land. So at this point, it's getting worse and worse. You know, it's like... It's like supply chain shortage, right? It's like you try to buy foil pans from Costco... Like the half size, half, uh, not the full ones, but the half size aluminum foil pans. Can't, can't buy them. Restaurant Depot, not happening. Supply chain issues, supply shortages and whatnot. It gets worse and worse, right? That's what happens with supply chain stuff. It just gets, it, it, it compounds. The hunger, I'm not comparing the two, we'll live without foil pans. Um, but we're talking here about food. The hunger is very severe. It's getting worse and worse over these seven years of famine. It starts off, you know, lack of food, but then it gets really bad. And it came to pass when they finished eating the grain that they had brought from Egypt, this is referring to the family of Yaakov, Jacob's family, that the father Jacob said to them, go back to Egypt and buy us a little food. So he now is sending his sons back into Egypt to buy food. Now, you probably know the problem here, yeah? You probably already know the problem. And what's the problem? The problem is they can't go back into Egypt without Benjamin. And that's what Judah steps up and says. But Judah spoke to him, to his father, saying, the man warned us, the man, Joseph, he doesn't know it's Joseph, the man warned us repeatedly, saying, you shall not see my face if your brother is not with you. In other words, you're not going to, there's no chance to meet with me. It's not going to happen without Benjamin. So don't even bother. So he's telling his father, father Jacob says, Jacob says, buy some food. Can't get an appointment with Jacob, with the, with the viceroy, Joseph, without Benjamin. Says Judah, he continues verse four, if you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food for you. If you send Benjamin, then we can do it. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, quote, you shall not see my face if your brother is not with you, end quote. So, so if, it's your choice. You want us to buy food? Happy to, happy to make the trip. Happy to go to the store in Egypt. But you got to give us Benjamin. Without Benjamin, we're not going. And Israel said, yeah, Jacob, Israel said, same guy, why have you harmed me? Listen to this. Why have you harmed me by telling the man that you have another brother? You see that? Why did you tell him about Benjamin? Chacham, right? Like, what, what, was the, what was the thought process? Why did you tell him that you had another brother? Why couldn't you just say, we're 10 brothers, we're here to buy food? You had to get into the whole family tree? You see what happens here? He's, he's now upset at them for mentioning Benjamin in the first place. He's not dealing. Now, the fact is, the cat's out of the bag. You can't undo that. You can't go down to Joseph and say, oh, by the way, we don't have another brother. We were lying. I mean, it's not going to work, 
right? He already knows it's done. But Israel's more, he's, Yaakov, Jacob is more of, he's lamenting the fact that they, that they messed up here. Okay, so they said, to defend themselves, the man asked, us, asked about us and about our family. He's, he's saying, is your father still alive? Do you have a brother? In other words, he was fishing for information. And we told him according to these words. In other words, we answered his questions, honestly. Could we have known that he would say, bring your brother down? I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought that, that this guy, this viceroy, would care so much that they had another brother at home? It's crazy. They're here to buy food. They're being accused of being spies. They get grilled about their family. They don't want to lie. So they're honest about the fact that they have a brother that's home. We had any clue, any inclination that they might have said, bring your brother down. It doesn't make any sense. And Judah said to, his, to Israel, his father, listen to this. He says, send the lad with me. And we will get up and go and we will live and not die, both we and you and also our young children. He says, entrust Benjamin to me and everything will be okay. Entrust Benjamin to me and it will be good. We'll live, we'll not die, meaning we're going to get food and not die of hunger. Both we and you and our young children, this is going to save the family. Send Benjamin with me. Send Benjamin with me. And he continues, Jake, uh, Judah does, I will guarantee him. I will guarantee him. From my hand, you can demand him. If I do not bring him to you and stand him up before you, I will have sinned against you forever. I guarantee it. I promise I will bring him back. And if not, I will have sinned forever. Then he continues. A little dig. For had we not tarried, by now we would have already returned twice. <laughs> right? you, ever hear, you ever hear people say that? I could have been back twice by now, this whole conversation. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's what Judah says to his father. Now, if you recall, and I mentioned it before, we did it yesterday, but I also did it before in the recap, Reuben, Reuven, had tried to convince his father to, um, to get him that information. It was Reuven who's it's not information, Reuven tried to convince his father to send down Benjamin with him. Reuben said, Reuben said, trust me, if I don't bring him back, you can kill my children. For some reason, it wasn't convincing. Reuben, although he was the firstborn, he was the oldest, and this is a theme that we find throughout the narrative, Reuben falls a little bit short. He has good intentions, he means well, but he falls short. Three episodes. Number one, when he moved his father's bed. He had good intentions. He wanted his father to be together with his mother, Leah, but it, it just, it was good intentions, but the execution just wasn't there. He didn't have the conversation. It just, it just didn't go the way he wanted. He had a good idea, but it went sideways. Second, when it came to Joseph being kidnapped, he had good intentions. He wanted to rescue him from the pit. Well, he was gone, whatever. Next thing you know, he comes back and Joseph's already sold as a slave. Good intentions, but lacking the execution. Here as well, he has good intentions. He wants to guarantee Benjamin's safety. Good intentions, but poor execution. Reuben represents someone. He's like the prototype, the archetype of the individual who has lots of good intentions, lots of good ideas, but when push comes to shove, when the rubber hits the road, at the end of the day, the job doesn't really get done through him. Judah, Yehuda, is different. He may not always have the best ideas, 
but he's a leader and he gets it done. Bit of a different, you know, different, different personalities, different types of people. It's an interesting analysis. Judah says essentially the same thing as, as Reuben. Judah says, give Benjamin to me, I'll take responsibility and bring him back to you. But this time, Jacob agrees. Now you could say that now this was after the, the famine had gotten more severe, there was no food, now it got really critical, and now when, when Judah, so Judah's at the, 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 the guy at the right time, says the right thing at the right time. Okay, it's true, it's possible, that's why he was more convincing than his brother, because remember Reuben had said, I'm just scrolling up, Reuben had said, um, you know, give him to me. And Jacob said no, but that was before the, the, the hunger got more severe, right? We're after like the next stage of the famine. But even if that's the case, a good leader, a good executor, so to speak, is someone who knows the right time. Timing is everything, right? You know the, the, the joke about the joke? Yeah, what's the most important part of a joke? Timing? Okay. Timing is the most important part, right? In lots of things. Real estate, business, jokes, comedy, whatever it is. Guaranteeing your brother's survival. Sure, safety. That, all of that has to do with timing. Judah is the right guy at the right time. Okay, so what, what's the response? Verse 11. So Israel, their father, said to them, If so, in other words, if, if Judah will guarantee him, then do this. Take some of the choice products of the land in your vessels. In other words, let's grease the wheels here. Let's grease the wheels. Take some of our stuff and take down to the man as a gift a little balm and a little honey, wax and lotus, pistachios and almonds. Honestly, it sounds like they did have food, but whatever. Anyway, take all this stuff down, a little balm, honey, wax, lotus, pistachios, almonds, and take, listen to this, double the money in your hands. Double the money. And the money... And it was double the money that you originally went with. And the money that was returned into the mouth of your sacks, remember they came back home with food and the money, you shall return in your hands, perhaps it was an error. Right? Perhaps it was an error. So he says like this, take double the money, which I'm assuming is covering the original money. So let's say each of them took originally $100. And they bought food and they got back the food and $100. So somehow, they got, it says take $200, buy more food for $100 and get back the original $100. And take your brother, he says, this is important, take your brother, i.e. Benjamin, and get up, go back to the man. And may the Almighty God grant you, grant you compassion before the man. And he will release to you your brother, your other brother, Shimon and Benjamin, and as, far, and, and as for me, as I am bereaved, I am bereaved. In other words, if it comes to it, it comes to it, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do. May God bless you and your, your mission. May you be successful. May the man have compassion upon you and release Shimon and Benjamin. Yeah. So the men, his sons, Joseph's brothers, took this gift and they took double the money in their hands and Benjamin. And they got up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Okay, so now we have their second appearance before Joseph. They don't know it's Joseph, obviously. They're buying food. At least they're trying to buy food and trying to get their brother back and trying to make sure that... that, um, um, that Benjamin doesn't get harmed. I want to share a few Rashis here. What does it mean, as I am bereaved, I am bereaved? What does that mean? 
So take a look. Take a look at the end of Rashi here. As I am bereaved, I am bereaved. As I am bereaved, sorry. And as for me, says, says Jacob, this is after he agrees to send the measurement. He says, until you return, I will be bereaved out of doubt. In other words, I'm going to be racked with grief, just the anxiety of doubt of not knowing how this is going to turn out. As I am bereaved of Joseph and, Sh- and Yosef and Shimon, Joseph and Simeon, I'm bereaved of Benjamin. In other words, that's my fear, that's my anxiety, that's my um, sense of, uh, of, of foreboding, is that, that will, something, God forbid, will happen. And so, so that's that. All right. Um, but he agrees. Ultimately, he agrees and sends Benjamin. Okay, any questions before we start reading number six? Uh, reading number six. Okay. Another long reading. These are, the narrative is very rich here. Very rich in narrative. Okay, Genesis chapter 43, verse number 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, so they came and stood before Joseph, round number two, this time with Benjamin. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, yeah, Benjamin's his brother, his baby brother from his mother. He said to the overseer of his house, bring the men into the house. I guess he saw, they weren't standing in front of him, he saw them approaching. So he says to the guy that runs, runs his house, bring the men into the house and give orders to slaughter an animal to prepare food, for the men will eat with me at lunch. Lunch, it says lunch in the Torah, it says B'tzarayim, that means in the afternoon. Okay, the noontime meal. I guess we call that lunch. So Joseph tells the guy who's, you know, runs, runs his estate, he says, all right, bring the men in and go, tell the kitchen staff to prepare some meat, some food for them, and they're gonna, we're going to eat together. And the man did as Joseph had said, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened. Not everyone goes to Joseph's house. You know, usually when you buy food, you're meeting in, I don't know, in an office or wherever it was in Egypt. It wasn't, Joseph wasn't running the operation out of his house. It's not like COVID. It's not like, yeah, he was working from home. He's like, yeah, if you want food, go to Joseph's house. That's, that's not what's going on. Joseph says to the guy, yeah, his assistant, tell them to come to my house. Tell my house to prepare some food. Okay. So the men were frightened because they had been brought into Joseph's house. And they said, now we're in trouble. Now they thought they're, they're for sure stepping into a landmine disaster. They said, on account of the money that came back into, in our sacks at first, we are brought. In other words, the reason why they took us back, or the reason why we're being summoned to his house, is because of the money that we ended up with. To roll upon us and to fall upon us and to take us as slaves and our donkeys as well. It's going to roll and fall upon us. And there's like the negativity, the accusations, everything's going to roll and fall upon us. And then they're going to take us as slaves. And not only us, but also our donkeys. I, I love how he, they added donkeys in there. That you would think like, like, isn't the fact that you'll be taking slaves the problem? The donkeys? Yeah, also the problem, problem with the donkeys. They take us and our donkeys. It's like, what, you're going to take me and the Lamborghini? Oh, no. I mean, maybe we can contextualize it like that. Okay. All right. So they, they drew near the man who was over Joseph's house. Okay. So now, they, now they're approaching the guy who's in charge. And they spoke to him at the entrance of the house. They didn't want to go in. 
So now they're they're pleading to the guy who said, come on in. They're like, oh no, we don't want to come in. This is a trap. So they said to him, please, my Lord. We they start launching into the whole story. We came down at first to purchase food. Like this is and this is a complete mix-up and a misunderstanding, and let's explain why. We came here to buy food. Verse 21. And it came to pass when we came to the lodging place, it came to the lodging place when we were on, on our way back, that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of, our, of his sack. Our money in full weight. They're already explaining, I'm sorry, they're already explaining how they got the money. You know when you're thinking about something and you think that the other person think about that? Yeah? And you're like, you're, you're answering a question that they might have, and they're like, what are you talking about? So this is what's going on. So they say, we know why you're calling us in. It's about the money. Here's the story about the money. We came down to buy food. We bought food. We gave money. And then we were on our way back. And then somehow each man's money was in the mouth of a sack, our money in full weight. We had all the money back. Right? So, and we returned it in our hands. In other words, we have it back. We have it with us. We've come back with the money. And we brought down other money in our hands to purchase food. So here's the deal. We purchased food. We came home. We're in the lodge in the hotel. We saw that the money was there. We now have the money back. And we have new money to buy more food. And that's it. We're not stealing. We're, not, we're, we're, we're innocent of, of, of all the charges. We do not know who put our money into our sacks. We don't know how it got there. They're literally addressing an accusation that no one said to them. You with me on this? It's all in their heads, but they're, they're certain that this is what's going on. Just an example, psychological example of being sure about a narrative and the whole thing might be completely in your head. Although, I mean, in this case, there was actually money that was put back in their bags, but the fact that this is what the problem is is not necessarily the case. That's not why they're being brought to his house, but nonetheless, that's their, that's their, that's their thought. And he said, the man who ran the house said, peace to you, shalom lachem. Like, shalom aleichem, shalom lachem, peace to you. Altiro, fear not. Take it easy. Take it easy. You guys are too stressed. Take it easy. Your God and the God of your father hmm, gave you a treasure in your sacks. You got lucky. You, got a you won the lottery. Your money came to me. In other words, I already got your money. Egypt already got your money. You paid. That money that you found, gift from God. Gift from God. And he brought the man, the guy who was running the house, he brought Shimon out to them. They got all the brothers. Right? They had Benjamin. They now have Shimon, Simeon. Good. Everyone's, everyone's back. All 11 brothers are there. Then the man brought the men, the brothers, the 11 brothers, into Joseph's house. So all of this dialogue and all of this is with Joseph's guy. Now they bring, now they bring the brothers into And they said, don't worry. It's not about the money. You're good. God loves you. You got money. Mazel tov. You won the lottery. Magical. Money growing in your bags. Whatever. You're good. We're all good. So now he brought them into Joseph's house and he gave them water and he washed their feet and he gave fodder to their donkeys. They were worried about the donkeys. We love your donkeys. We're going to have food. It's all good. And they prepared the gift. So the brothers now 
got the gift ready. Remember the wax and the bomb and the, yeah, all that stuff? Okay, so they got the gift ready. They spruced it up. Put a little bow on it, put a little card. Until Joseph would come at lunchtime. For they heard that they, were, that they would eat bread. So this is, Joseph's not even there. They're being brought into the house. They're waiting. They're getting the, the presents ready, the gift ready. And they were told that they were going to eat lunch together with Joseph. Well, and Joseph came home. And they brought him the gift that was in their hands into the house. And they prostrated themselves to the ground. So now they bow down. Now all 11 brothers bow down, fulfillment of the dream. Remember, the dream had 11 stocks and 11 stars bowing down. Just happened. He inquired after their welfare. How you guys doing? How's everything? And he said to them, is your elderly father, whom you mentioned well, is he still alive? Is Jacob still alive? Is he okay? And they said, your servant, our father as well. He is still alive. And they bowed and prostrated themselves. And he lifted his eyes and saw Benjamin, his brother, the son of his mother, son of Rachel. And he said, is this your little brother whom you told me about? And he said, and he was told, yes, that is Benjamin. And so Joseph said, Yach necha b'ni, may God favor you, my son. May God favor you. Well, he was certainly favored as a kid. He's saying to, yeah, may God favor you, my son Benjamin. Not his son, but yeah. And Joseph hastened, for his mercy was stirred toward his brother. He got emotional, and he wanted to weep. So he went into the room and wept there. He basically excuses himself, runs out of the room, and he begins bawling, begins crying, weeping. Begins weeping from the, the emotional impact of meeting his brother after 20 years. There's more than this to the story. His mercy was stirred because he asked Benjamin about, his, about how, he's, how he's doing. Like, what's going on in your life? Benjamin told him about his family and his kids. Benjamin had a number of sons, and he named them all after his brother. I mean, not Yosef, but not literally Yosef, but all he gave them names that evoked his feelings of love toward his brother, toward Joseph. So when Joseph hears Benjamin's, about Benjamin's kids and how he named them all for, ben, for, for Joseph, he can't control himself. He, he, he's, he, emotionally, it's, it's, it's too, too, um, too emotional. So he goes into the room and he weeps there. And he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the food. So he has to hold, get him, he has to hold himself together, even though all he wants to do is just hug his brother. But he has to hold himself together and, you know, play the part. I'm going to toggle Rashi because I mentioned something that Rashi brings. Let's do it inside. Joseph asked Benjamin, have you a brother from your mother? In other words, do you have a brother from your mother, from Rachel? Now, he, was, he was the brother. But he's asking Benjamin. So Benjamin replied, I, I had a brother. I had a brother, but I do not know where he is. Yeah. Hello, right here. Have you any sons? Joseph asked. He replied, I have ten, ten sons. He asked them, what are their names? He replied, Bella, Becher, etc. He asked, what is the significance of these names? He replied, all of them are connected to my brother and the troubles that befell him. My first son was named Bella because he, my brother, was swallowed up Nivla among the nations. 
My second son was named Becher because my brother was the firstborn Bechar of my mother. My third son was named Ashbei because God put him, my brother, into captivity, Shivukel. My fourth son was named Gera because my brother was a stranger. It's Gaer in a lodging place. My fifth son was named Naaman because he, my brother, was very pleasant to look at Naim. My sixth and seventh sons were named Ahi and Rosh because Achi and Rosh because he was my brother Achi and he was my superior Roshi. My eighth son was named Mupim because he, my brother, learned from the mouth, Mipi, my father. My son, my ninth son was named Chupim because my brother did not see my, we- my wedding, Chupasi. Neither did I see his wedding, Chupato. And my tenth son was named Ard because he, my brother, descended Yarad upon, among the nations. This is stated in Tractate. This is a state in Tractate Sota. Immediately, Joseph's mercy was stirred. So when Joseph encounters Benjamin and hears about Benjamin's kids and how each of them was named after his own trials and travails, he lost it. Joseph did. All right, verse 32. And they sat for him separately and for them separately. And for the Egyptians who ate with him separately. Because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews because it is an abomination to the Egyptians. So already here we see a bias and a prejudice. Yeah, you wonder like where does anti-Semitism begin? Already here, chapter 43 of uh, Genesis, verse 32, this is before slavery. It says, the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews because it is, an abom- it is an abomination to the Egyptians. To break bread, to sit down and eat with a Jew was a problem. You, you with me on this? Yeah? Okay. So he kept his brothers at a separate table and he ate separately because they were not to mix. I mean, little did anyone know, right, who Joseph was. They sat Rabbi, before... Yeah. Rabbi, but I mean, already we've seen that, that the, the future Jews were considered different and like outsiders, but you're saying this is the first time there's something actually deliberate negativity. Abomination. Abomination. That's a strong word. It means it's disgusting. It's gross. It's, it's, it's ugh. Kenny with a Jew. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, that's a statement. That's a very powerful statement. Let's continue. They sat before him. The brothers. The firstborn according to his age and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at each other in astonishment. He basically sat them oldest to youngest. And they were like, how does he know? Well, he knew. And he had portions brought to them, brought to them from before him. And Benjamin's portion was five times as large as the portion of any of them. So they brought out food. And they gave Benjamin more food. Five times more food than, than the others. And they drank and became intoxicated with him. Getting drunk. Hashtag partying with the viceroy. Genesis chapter 44. Oh, you know what? I think we're going to stop here. Because, second, yes. Because this narrative, this story, is the end of the Torah portion because the seventh reading, yeah, this is reading six, the seventh reading is a special Hanukkah reading. This week, we have multiple readings. We have the regular Torah portion and then we have the Hanukkah reading. Special Hanukkah. 
Oh, I'm sorry. We have, oh my gosh, what am I saying? We have three readings. There are three Torahs brought out on the Shabbat. We have the first six readings are from the Torah portion. So that's why it's going to end reading six. That's why I want to stop right now. The seventh reading is Rosh Chodesh because Shabbos is Rosh Chodesh. Okay? And the Maftir is for Hanukkah. Three separate sections. Genesis, then Numbers 28, and then Numbers 7. Anyway, it's a, it's a great opportunity to come to Shul, to come to synagogue, see uh, three Torahs, three different readings merged together on one Shabbat. Again, it's a triple header. We have Miketz, the Torah portion, Rosh Chodesh reading, and Hanukkah reading. All combined. But anyway, be that as it may, I want to stop here and, uh, and leave some of the story for tomorrow. We're up to chapter number 44. Okay. Any questions or comments on the reading that we did today? Very rich in narrative. Um, even though it took, uh, you know, fairly quick to go through. Checking, checking. Okay. What's the moral of the story? I'll tell you what the moral of the story is. Good ideas are great, but execution of those ideas, even better. Yeah? You have the people who always say, ah, you know, I had that idea, you know, I should. All right, great. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Get it done, right? Make it happen. Action is key. The Talmud has a debate. What's more important, study or action? And the Talmud says, yeah, what's, what's more important? What's greater? Study, because it leads to action. You see that? It gets both in. It's, it's, it's great. So wait, which is better? Study, because it leads to action. So what does that mean? That study is only for the... Okay. But the main thing is the action. The main thing is action. What is it? Um, it says in Hayom Yom, like a thousand groans don't change anything. You can like, yeah, we can from today to tomorrow, but not, nothing's going to happen unless, unless something happens. So the message is, Reuben, Reuven has all these ideas. I'm going to, you know, honor my mother and save my, fa- my, my, you know, my father and my mother. I want to bring them together. And, and then I want to uh, rescue my brother. And I want to be the hero and get the food. And be, he, oh, he wants to do a lot of things. Doesn't get it done. Consistently, he's not getting it done. Judah gets it done. Judah may not be the perfect, you know, Judah's got his, you know, stuff and whatever. But Judah gets it done. When he says, let's sell Joseph as a slave, they sold him. Now, that wasn't a great thing, but, but, but he was the leader. When he tells his father, I got this, his father says, I trust you. So let's be like the Judah. Let's be the one to finish, to get the job done, as opposed to just having the idea. So ideas are good, but it's the implementation that really gets it done. And that's, that's the message of Hanukkah as well. Right? Hanukkah, we don't just put the oil and the wick in the lamp, we actually light it. Because if you don't light it, it's not going to produce light, it's not going to produce warmth. As long as it remains unlit, you have all the ingredients. But you didn't bake the cake. Right? You, got, you got all the ingredients all sitting there. It's like latkes, right? You got potatoes and your onions and whatever else you put in there. Yeah, you got all the stuff. But until you fry them up, until they sizzle in your, in your frying pan, you don't have a latke. You have raw ingredients, shredded and mushy. So the point is like this. You need the ideas. You need the inspiration. You need, you know, you need, you need that. 
you also need some Judah. Everyone needs some Judah, which is getting it done. So may we take the inspiration from today's study to be a little bit more like Judah, to be the ones to get the job done, to complain, to kvetch, to point out the problems, to see the, to have the ideas, all good, but what's even better is to do something about it. So let's do something about it. Judah, by the way, is the father of King David and is the father of Mashiach. The Davidic dynasty comes from the tribe of Judah. And this reminds us, a king is one who gets things done. King, I mean, at least that's the way I think of a king. A king is someone who makes a decree and it's done. I'll tell you a story. I heard there this. There is no statute of limitations in the Torah. That's true. That is true. Right, right. I'll tell you a story about getting things done. Yeah, like snap your finger, it's done. So I have a, a colleague of mine, Chabad Rabbi in, I think, Chicago. So he, speaking of Chicago, by the way, we have uh, Mendel came home this morning. Nassen came home this morning. So we have our Chicago and LA crew back home for uh, the last few days of Hanukkah. Back to our story. So yeah, different weather experiences. Uh, anyway, so let, getting back to the story. So this, fellow, so this rabbi helped make a minion at Ronnie Perlman's house, Ron Perlman. You know Ron Perlman? He's like the billionaire CEO or owner of Revlon and other companies. So he's a guy. I used to hang out. I've told the story before. I used to go down to St. Bart's to help make a minion on the island. And the Ultima Three, his yacht, he was married to Ellen Barkin then. Remember Ellen Barkin, the actress? Yeah? Okay. We met Ellen. Whatever. I don't, they're not together anymore. But it was... Such a mitzvah, such a mitzvah. He flew out nine guys to St. Bart's. It was, it was ru really roughing it, <laughs> if you don't know St. Bart's. <laughs> Paradise. He said, put us up in a villa. We had three villas, each with a private pool. Anyway, we bought food from, from Brooklyn. This is before, I want to say before 9-11. Things were a little bit fast and loose, you know. You know, it was flying. Anyway, we just packed food onto the plane or under the plane, or around the plane, whatever. It's more like, more like a bus than it's very formal now. It's more like a, you know, you have a ticket or you don't know ticket, you know, just say your name, you're on, whatever, something like that. Anyway, bottom line is, um, he then later made a shul in his penthouse or whatever it is, not penthouse, in his uh, house in Manhattan. So he built like a shul. So this other younger, uh, one of my uh, younger colleague was there some years later helping out with the minion in Manhattan. So <laughs> the Rebbe told him, by the way, who was a, a big supporter of Chabad, um, the Rebbe told him, like, you know, everyone has a mitzvah. Your mitzvah is or should be every Shabbos, have it, wherever you are in the world, have a minion. That's why he does it. Because the Rebbe told him every, on Shabbos, always pray with a minion. So that's his thing. Um, so this guy tells me that they put in a new shul, I guess, you know, they added a shul to his, they built out a, a synagogue in his house or whatever, or, or maybe not his house, or somewhere in Manhattan, I think his house, attached to his house, something. First week, Ron Perlman steps down. Oh, oh, sorry, and, that, and, and it was, when you walked in, it like the floor went down a few inches. You know sometimes you walk in and it goes down a few inches, like the first, okay. So Ron Perlman walks in and he trips, okay? And he fell down. 
Over his shoulder, he calls out to his assistant, who's always with him 24-7. He's like, fix that for next week. And by, next, by the next week, you would never have known that the floor was three inches lower the week before. It was perfectly level, and that's it. What, how did they do it? I, that's it. That's what it means to be a king. To be a king, it's good to also have the money to be able to pull it off. But to be a king means you get things done. You get things done. So we, even without the resources of a, of a billionaire, Ron Perlman, it doesn't matter. The point is that we should, in our own lives, when we have good ideas, when we see things that need to be fixed, let's step up and get the job done. That's what we learned from Yehuda from today's reading. Well, yes, I, Donna. Yehuda ultimately did Shehuva for what he did to Joseph. Right? Yeah. Yeah. As we'll see soon. We'll see soon. As we'll see soon. Because, yeah, I, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll, we'll get the rest of the narrative with the, the whole Benjamin saga. And actually, we'll get the first part of that conclusion. It's really going to conclude next week. Beginning I mean, of next that week. That seems like that would be important if his, the, you know, the lineage. Coming full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 As we'll, we'll see. He does exactly that. Um, okay, good. All right, great to see you guys. Don't forget, tonight tonight is our Torah studies, our Wednesday night Torah studies class. Thursday night, 7.30 on Zoom, same usual Wednesday Torah studies link, but it's on Thursday night at 7.30 p.m., Hanukkah edition. The theme is going to be miracles. Understanding the multiple types of miracles of Hanukkah and the message that it holds for us today in 2021. All right, hope to see you then. Um, there's a, that's 7.30. Before that, 6 to 7 p.m. tonight, the Zerchanaka lighting at Pond City Market. Join us. It's going to be a nice, massive crowd for that, for that uh, lighting. Sandrine, it's right around the corner from you. Ish. Yes. Joy also. Me also, right? <laughs> right in the hood. So join us for that if you wish. We'll have food and drinks, and menorahs, and, le- and and flames, and all this good stuff, lighting up the Atlanta night, lighting up the Pond City Market night sky. Nice. All right, so join us 6 p.m., and then right afterwards, we're going to do the, uh, the class. Okay, see you all soon. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah Sameach. Bye, everybody. Take care.